welcome back to Jorge and John Talk About Soccer. I am John Block, joined as always by Jorge Deneve. Two more to go. Really one more to go if you uh, don't count the third place game. We'll, we'll touch on that briefly, but mostly what we're going to be doing this episode is recapping the two semifinal matches and then previewing the France-Croatia final, which I'm sure is a final that almost no one saw coming. But anyway, let, let's hop right into it with France's 1-0 win over Belgium. Uh, I guess we didn't really talk about this in the preview for this game, but Thomas Mounier suspended for this game, and it really had a big effect on how the Belgian squad set up. Yeah, that kind of went right over my head, because I think when we were previewing the lineups, I, I expected Chadley to play out on the left, because Belgium looked much better with him on the left, but... He had to shift over to the right, and it brought Musa Dembele in. And although pregame the formation was put up as a three-five-two with De Bruyne on the left and Chadley on the right, it was still a three-four-three with Dembele playing left wing, which is not his position. And it really hurt Belgium going down that side. Yeah, they they really, in some ways, played the same formation. Definitely Hazard. Lukaku and De Bruyne as like a top three were the same as they were in, in Belgium's game against Brazil, but Dembele didn't really play on the left. So what basically happened was they had Vertonghen shift a little bit more, sort of like a left back, but it was what really happened was the formation became very lopsided because they had Chadley who who was playing more as you know a wing back who would really push up, and then you had Vertonghen who wouldn't push up and would play more as like half center back, half wing back, which kind of, you know, amalgamated to left back, but was sort of in between the two as well. And I think the result of that, as you saw during the game, a lot of the Belgian attacks ended up going down the right side where they had that extra attacking player, when really the vulnerability it looked like in that game was attacking Pavard down France's left. It, it was ridiculous because during the first half, Belgium kept going down the left and just have Hazard run at Pavard. And Pavard just looked scared more than anything. He he couldn't touch Eden Hazard, and they were creating chances. There was um, there was the one shot that Varane hit it over, led to a set piece. Um, Hazard was just dancing by Pavard all day, and just to see them stop that in the second half, and then all of a sudden, you know, give it wide to to Chadley or to De Bruyne, and just have them whip balls in from the right. It it didn't work because I mean Pavard is the weak link in that French lineup. They they didn't exploit that. Yeah, it, it definitely hurt them. I think, and I just think Belgium. It was a pretty clear error on their part that never really got rectified. They brought on Carrasco fairly late into the game, and, and I mean that's someone who wasn't really all that effective this tournament anyway. And so I think. You know, I talked before the game about how you know the way teams were going to react to to the flow of the game was going to matter a lot, and I think Belgium reacted very poorly in the sense that there were some pretty clear ways in, in which the game was set up tactically that didn't favor Belgium, and they didn't really react that at all, or at least soon enough. Yeah, I mean, you look at the way they set up for this game, you couldn't help but think they could use Rajanan going right now because the way they were trying to utilize Dembele... He he was not really mobile enough to pull that off, whereas Nangolan, who's just 
has a remarkable engine for Roma. You know he has a strike. He's a bit more of an attacking player than Dembele. He could have maybe pulled off the, the role as the the faux left wing back that that Martinez needed. And I think probably could have helped in many other games because despite all the attacking talent Belgium had, they became a counterattacking team during this World Cup. Yeah, they really did. And, you know, credit to them, they counterattacked pretty effectively when they played that style. But I think you saw the way Belgium set up. They just were never really able to have a midfield that controlled the ball well. Even in this game where they essentially added an extra midfielder, that was just not their style of play. It was really to play along the wings. And when they were as lopsided on the wings as they were in this game, that style didn't work. And they really there was kind of a refusal amongst, you know, Roberto Martinez and the players on the pitch to sort of change that and play more through midfield. So I think the way they played definitely didn't suit Dembele. And, you know, it didn't really suit Fellaini either. They they started Fellaini and he was sort of positionless in a way, because they almost had Dembele as the other midfielder who was kind of anchored along with Witzel. And you saw Fellaini just kind of making darting runs out towards, you know, pressuring French players and, and doing so pretty ineffectively, and then just leaving that two-man midfield kind of... I mean, I, I wouldn't say Belgium defended all that poorly. They gave, you know, they gave up one goal from a set piece. So it's not like they were defensively inept. It's just they weren't able to get enough pressure on France so as to really make them uncomfortable. No, you're right. They're, they finally looked good defensively, which was a little shocking to me because I feel like France... Oh, maybe you can argue Brazil, but France was probably the most talented attacking team they've played. Um, but but that's another thing. I, I have to look at Deschamps' tactics for this game. You see a team playing three in the back. You would think if you want to utilize your pace, because they try to play the ball to Mbappe over the top a lot, why are you playing someone like Giroud? If there's one game where you throw out the game plan, it's this one, and you just put... Griezmann up front, Mbappe on the right, Dembele on the left, and Lamar at Cam, and just try and run at the Belgian back line and just overload them with pace because the long balls over the top worked. They got in behind. The The Belgian defense did not deal with those particularly well. And, and looking at Croatia, I don't, I don't know if Deschamps knows completely how to attack them yet. Yeah, I, I mean, we'll get to that in the preview, but there are definitely some concerns. I would imagine... France is going to go with the same lineup because they've been sticking to this pretty consistently, uh, the one exception being when Matuidi was suspended and Tolisso came in for him. But but I would expect the same starting lineup against Croatia for France. And, and yeah, Giroud looked totally ineffective against Belgium, the Belgium defense. And, and it's not like there wasn't service. There were He was in the game. You know, his, his teammates were getting him the ball, and he just couldn't really do anything with it pretty consistently. So, I mean, I mean, I don't know how much that changes against Croatia, if he's more effective against that type of defense. I kind of doubt it, to be honest. But, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in the preview. One last thing I had for this game was, I was impressed both by Thibaut Courtois for the second game in a row, and then also Hugo Lloris for France. Um, when Belgium had their kind of better attacking spurts at the beginning of the game, Urias uh, made some pretty good saves to to make sure that Belgium didn't get in front, and so I I think he's definitely the the more informed keeper going into the final. Definitely, I mean he he was good. Um, 
Courtois was excellent in in my opinion. Um, he couldn't really do much about the corner. The rest of the time, made the saves needed to make. Um, the one criticism I have of Loris is that he will occasionally punch the ball on instinct, even when he's not under pressure. But I mean, it's it was a small thing for how well France dealt with it. And at least when he punches, he can punch it far and away from danger. So that's a plus. But yeah, I mean, he's he's played at a high level for a while now, and I think he's very comfortable with this this French back line. I think he's finally adjusted to not having Koscielny in front of him and and playing with Umtiti and and Varane. So yeah, I mean, France looked solid at the back. I, I mean, they, they did what they had to do. Not really much more I can say about them. Yeah, uh, in that case, let's move on to the other semifinal. Croatia with a 2-1 win over England, 1-1 after 90 minutes, and then a Mandzukic goal, his first of the tournament, very timely in the second half of extra time, sent Croatia through to their first ever World Cup final. It's it's not coming home, Jorge. Disappointment for a lot of English fans. No, but I think we were both kind of shocked that England got this far anyway. We, we haven't been particularly impressed, and I, this game kind of showed why. Um, Harry Kane, who would ton of people thought was probably the best finisher coming into this tournament has a one-on-one with Subasic and got his own rebound as well he didn't score either one I mean the the first shot was barely to the side of Subasic and the second one he hits the post from two yards out it that's not the kind of play you can have from from your striker and outside of that I don't think England created anything um, from open play. They they looked out of ideas, which when you have players like Raheem Sterling and Jesse Lingard, and then you can bring Rashford off the bench, and Deli Alley's going to make late runs into the box, it's, it's unacceptable. Yeah, I, I mean, they've pretty clearly relied very heavily on, on set pieces throughout this tournament, and you know, it got them this far because they were very good at set pieces. You know, Kieran Trippier scores a, a very good, I think probably People are more excited about it or were more excited about it when it happened than they should have been. But it was, it was a good free kick nonetheless that he put into the back of the net. And, you know, I, I praised his deliveries when we were talking about England on the last episode. And I think, you know, well-deserved from him. He he had a very good tournament from dead balls, at least. Not so much in this game outside of that as we'll get to. And then they got that chance late on when John Stones got a header off a set piece that was cleared off the line by Versalico who ended up playing after it seemed like he got you know somewhat injured in Croatia's game against Russia. But, I mean, yeah, from open play, it was really just that Harry Kane chance. And, and I think the bigger criticism of Kane then, you know, that he didn't put those, ch- those two chances, one right after another, in the back of the net, is that he was fairly invisible outside of that. You know, he's your target guy. He, he's your man up front for England. And, you know, I think Raheem Sterling has not had a very good tournament, and I don't think he was very good in this game, and I would still say Raheem Sterling in this game was better than Kane, because at least he made some runs, at least he, he got the ball in some dangerous areas. Even when England was looking the better team in the early stage of, the, of this game, I really think Kane was fairly absent from England's play. No, it, it, he absolutely was, and it, hasn't, it wasn't just this game, it's been the entire tournament. I think he had completed 65 passes, um, going into this match, um, and he had played four full games. It, it, you look 
around, and then you see Sterling, who hasn't been that effective, is, is even creating some, and then the 30 minutes we saw of, or I guess more like 40, 45, we saw out of Rashford today, he, he added a little extra dynamism. I mean, Jesse Lingard w- was the player that looked the most um, dynamic of the starters, and beyond that, it, it was Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire can't be your second option for creating chances. Um, and that that doesn't even mention the, the defensive frailties. I mean, I, I think we've gone on about Kyle Walker playing center back, but the the Perisic goal pretty much shows he's not a center back. He doesn't, he doesn't know how to deal with that. He's not expecting someone to come in from behind him because he's a right back. Yeah, and... I think we certainly saw he, he got beaten on Perisic there. On that same play, you know, Trippier was initially marking Perisic and then kind of lets him go by. There was also a play from Trippier where he, it was a really bad back pass that ended up almost being another chance for Perisic. So I, I think it was just really sloppy from England, more than, you know, that they were set up poorly. It was just, it seemed like individual players weren't, sharp and we're making mistakes consistently that I think was the real difference maker because you saw at the beginning of the game you know England never really was offensively you know potent at all in this game you know they had the free kick goal there was the Harry Kane chance there was the John Stones chance at extra time I think that's pretty much it as far as you know maybe even half chances or like legitimate half chances for England in that whole game but but defensively at least they they shut Croatia down in that first half It, it wasn't until you know, England started getting sloppy and Croatia started to push the issue a little more that that the tide really turned and, and from that point on, Croatia were dominant. So I, I think the, the system works for England. I don't think that's to blame, whereas I think, you know, for Belgium, I think that is a lot of the blame or a lot of where the blame falls. Yeah, for sure. I, I think this, this England team, all the players in the back, save maybe Ashley Young, although we can have another conversation about whether he's actually a defender or not. They have a tendency to have lapses in concentration, and that has plagued John Stones since the Everton days. Kyle Walker does has done that occasionally. Trippier was guilty of it. And you saw Harry Maguire do it against Colombia in the, the goal that got called back. And, and John Stones did it today in a... Uh, more important moment and let um, I forget who it was that scored a second goal. It might have been Kramer. No, no, it was Manzukic. That was his goal. Um, he just kind of let him in. He just looked around, saw Manzukic right? He's like, oh crap, I need to get there. But he was nowhere close. So that that was England's biggest issue and they they couldn't get the goals to to counter that. Yeah, I mean... I think the real shift was, A, the sloppiness, as I've said, and then what what really changed the game, because England never looked like they were going to score. I think what made Croatia the eventual winners in this game was a little different than what I expected, but still Modric being able to kind of have that freedom with Brozovic and sort of Rakitic as more defensive. And I, I think Modric was the player of this game, you know, even though he didn't get a goal. He was everywhere, and I think once you saw Croatia start getting some, some momentum and start creating some you know, half chances and, and getting the ball into dangerous areas, it was always he was involved in the play, 
and he would, you know, come out to the right wing and, you know, create a two-on-one with Rebic or do the same with Perisic on the other side. And I think, you know, I thought it was going to be more Croatia dominating the midfield than, than it ended up being, just because, you know, Modric plus, you know, the other Croatian midfielders against Jordan Henderson it isn't a favorable matchup for England. But really what ended up happening was Modric just kind of was able to go wherever he needed because they didn't need him to, to defend, really. They, they, he had a lot of freedom, and he was so much more effective than anyone on the English team of actually, you know, playing the right ball, being in the right space in order to, you know, open, open play up and create a chance. Definitely. And I, we don't see it to the same extent at Real Madrid because he has so many good players around him. But what he's been so good at for Croatia is, is finding the spaces he needs to be to create favorable matchups. And I, you touched on it, him going from wing to wing to create two-on-ones. And, I mean, his work rate was was incredible because they took him off. And that's probably the last guy you want to sub off if you're Croatia. But that that's how hard he worked. And by the time he's come off, there's maybe five minutes left to go and you're just going to pack it in. But Croatia were the better team. And I think they've been the better team in all of their matches. We we can talk about the, the level of their opponents, but they've been better than who they've played against every single time. It, it has showed. Yeah, I mean, we talked about coming into the knockout stage. You know, they were one of, I believe, three teams to have won all of their group stage games, and they were a team that, that was looking really good. And, you know, they weren't as dominant in the round of 16 of the quarterfinals, needed to go to penalties in both games, but they were still, you know, the better team in, in those games. And they just, they're, how compact they've been defensively ha- has continued to be impressive. You know, they gave up that one kind of fluky goal against Denmark and the free kick goal against England. And outside of that, it, it's really just, you know, another set piece goal against Russia and then Cherishev's wonder strike. So as far as the knockout stage goes, you know, yeah, they've given up four goals, but really only one of those was from open play, and it was an an incredible strike from outside the box, which, you know, isn't always going to happen. So, I mean, defensively, they're they're set up a lot better than I think people expected going into the tournament. Midfield-wise, I mean, that's the one place where people have always praised Croatia, at least since they've had this group of players. And then, you know, we finally saw Perisic, you know, he, I don't think he had that amazing of a game, but he ended up with a goal and an assist, and Mandzukic finally got on the scoreboard as well. So, I mean, Croatia is looking really good, and they've certainly earned their place in this final. Definitely. I mean, and their one weak spot, or what I thought was the biggest weak spot coming into the tournament, was Subasic in goal, and he's he silenced the critics. He's he's looked good, and he's looked comfortable and. Croatia's very confident with him back there. Um, so it's it's been a great tournament for them, and I think this is their first ever final, so they're, it's already a success. Yeah, and you know, I would say it's a success for England as well. I, I think, you know, they always have a lot of expectations around them, and people always expect England to make it far, even when they don't have a good squad. I do think this is a better English team than we've seen in recent years, and I think it showed. They had a better performance. I think, you know, the management, while 
you know, I, I'm not the biggest Gareth Southgate fan, but I, I do think that he's more competent than, you know, English managers recently have been, certainly more so than, you know, Fabio Capello or Sam Allardyce for his three hours in charge. Um, but, I, I mean, they had a good tournament, and, and it's going to be disappointing because, you know, when you make it this far, for an English fan, you want to make it all the way, and you want to win a World Cup for the first time in 70 years or however long it's been, 50, I don't know. 52. 52. But, yeah, I mean, they, they should go home happy because I think they, they showed that with this group of players, and this is a group of players, most of whom are fairly young and most of whom will be in the English squad for years to come, that can consistently perform well in major tournaments like this one. And realistically, their squad isn't good enough where they should ever be expected to win, but they should always be competitive. And I think if you're being realistic about what you know the English national team should be aiming for, that, that's what it is. Yeah, it's a good start. And I'm sure we'll see in, in 2020 and wherever the Euros are, whether it was a fluke or not, but I, I think they're for real. Definitely. But for now, let's move on to our final game previews of this World Cup. We'll start with a very, very brief preview of the third place game, really just acknowledging it uh, on Saturday. We have England taking on Belgium for the second time this World Cup, again in a game that really doesn't matter all that much. We, we saw the second 11s come out in, in that final group stage game. You know, I would expect to see the first 11s in this one, but still, you know, not giving it, you know, 100% like these teams would if they were in the final, certainly. Yeah, it hurts because the third place game tends to be one of those games where you don't play defense. You want to, you're just going to push for goals. You're going to try and entertain the fans. But since the two main strikers are the ones competing for the golden boot, we might actually see defense from the teams. Um, trying to help their their respective player get the golden boot. So I don't think it's just going to be a race for Lukaku and Kane to try and get goals. They're going to have a lot of the ball. It, it's not going to be the the type of 3-2 thriller that Uruguay and Germany had back in, in 2010. And I don't expect it to be the end of a demise of one team like it was for Brazil in 2014. But... It, it'll probably be more entertaining. I think the teams will try and come out of their shell because at the end of the day, they are trying to entertain. Um, but it, it's a less exciting third-place game than it has been before. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, on the golden boot race note, I mean, it, it'll be tough for Lukaku to catch up. He'd need two goals just to tie Kane or two more goals and if Kane ends up scoring than Kane gets. I, I don't really see that happening, but I will say... That I do think, despite the despite Kane having more goals, that Lukaku ha- has looked better in this tournament. Absolutely, no question about that. But we don't really care about the third place game because it's for third place. The Euros have the right idea and not playing it. The real one we're looking forward to is France Croatia in the final. People, I think a lot of people expected France to get here, not so much Croatia, but here they are. Um, any, anything that pops out at you? I think that this is definitely the toughest game Croatia will have. 
whereas I'm not sure that that's the case for France. At the same time, there are, the concerns for France are still, you know, are still here, and I think there are certainly concerns that could make France you know, lose this game ultimately. And I think that, that main concern for France is creating chances. And we touched on this a bit before, but you know they've got Mbappe, who against a disorganized defense or a not that great defense, has been able to just kind of run through people and use his pace and use his skill on the ball. But against the better defensive teams that France has played, he's been shut down a little more. And then you've got Giroud, who really hasn't done all that much other than run around, you know, run around somewhat productively, but but hasn't really been able to, you know, put his foot or put his head on a lot of good balls. And, and then, you know, you've got Griezmann, who I don't think ha- has been amazing this World Cup. He's gotten some goals, but, you know, that's from penalties or goalkeeper errors for the most part. So it's going to be tough, I think, against this organized defense for Croatia for France to create a lot, as it has been against, frankly, worse defensive teams. No, absolutely. The the one thing I will say is that I don't think the Croatian back line has gone up against a striker as physical as Giroud. So that that's going to be something to look out for, to see if maybe Giroud against a much, much more tired Croatian team can bully them around a little bit. I don't think he will, but it's just something to potentially see. But th- this game, everyone is excited to watch the midfield battle because you have Pogba and Conte against Modric and Rakitic. Um, I think Modric and Rakitic have been better as a pair this tournament, but N'Golo Conte has been N'Golo Conte, and Pogba is always liable to just have a big game. So I, that's where the game's going to be decided for me. Yeah, I, I would even go more specific and say it's going to be that matchup of Conte against Modric because you've got someone in Modric who, with the way Croatia has been playing, is free to kind of move around the field. And the way Conte plays is just he is kind of that midfield destroyer who is able to just break up play wherever he goes. And so I really think whichever of those two players ends up coming out on top, and I wouldn't be surprised if for large parts of this game, Conte is just straight up marking Modric. Uh, honestly, that's probably what I would have him do for a lot of the game. And I think whoever comes out on top there, their team is, you know, the favorite to win the match. I really think it's a, as good a midfield matchup as you're going to get. Conte is probably the best defensive midfielder as, as far as the defending elements go in the world. And Modric, you could make a very good case that he is the best creative midfielder in the world. So, I mean, you know... France-Croatia, probably not the matchup people expected, especially on the Croatian side, and they're certainly, you know, on paper, far from the most talented team, but but that matchup is absolutely deserving of one to be had in a World Cup final. Yeah, it'll it'll be fun. Both teams have been a bit more direct, so we we could potentially see a lot of uh, attackers running at, at the defenders, and I, I think goalkeepers will be tested. I think it will be a very physical battle, very hard fought. But I I think we also have to consider that, you know, Croatia has 90 extra minutes on their legs. Um, you could make the case that it's a 180-minute 
longer on their legs because France essentially rotated in their final group match against Denmark. So they're, they're not going to be as fresh. And we thought it would affect them against England, but it didn't. But maybe it comes back for this final. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think I was expecting them to show a little more tired legs, but it seemed like they really, once they sort of got in the front foot in that second half, were honestly you know, even more energetic than they were in the first half of that game. And, and you saw in extra time again, you know, players having to come off, players just exhausted for Croatia. But at the same time, I, I, I think it's still a concern, but I also think that Croatia absolutely has it in them to go another 90 minutes at least and, you know, really take it to this French team. So, so we'll see, but, you know, the way Croatia played against England, I'm not surprised if they can do the same thing against France as far as, as energy levels wise and, you know, staving off that tiredness just long enough. Yeah. Um, is there going to be some big controversy or big story from this final, because the last three finals have given us a lot in the way of drama. And you had Zidane's headbutt in 06. 2010 was just dirty in 2014. I mean, you have Iguain's miss. Anything from this one you expect? I think the one thing you might expect to happen would be some kind of VAR controversy. But really, in most of the games, starting with really the knockout stage, but especially as we've gotten later on, we're really not seeing VAR used, you know, hardly ever, definitely not as much as it was during the group stage, which is something that's definitely really interesting. And to some extent, I think there haven't been, you know, any enormously controversial calls. But at the same time, I think that the standard for going to VAR was a lot lower in the group stage than it is now. Yeah, um, Maybe FIFA has a little distrust for VAR. Don't want it to to become the star of the knockout stages. But I also feel like you brought this technology in for the World Cup. You may as well use it. It's there. It's supposed to help you. Yeah, I, I so we'll certainly see if it ends up getting used in the final. I wouldn't be surprised, but at the same time, it hasn't been happening as much lately. So so we'll see. If I had to guess, if a controversy comes from somewhere, that'd be my first pick. At the same time, you know, you never know. Both teams have some players that, that can get, you know, heated. I think we saw Mandzukic throw a ball away and get a yellow card in the game against England. So we certainly wouldn't be surprised if something like that happened as well. There was Mbappe's pretty funny time-wasting tactics against Belgium. So I've definitely some stuff on both sides there. But So we talked about Conte, we talked about Modric, definitely the, the biggest matchup of this game. But if there's sort of maybe a lesser-known player who can make a difference for France and for Croatia, who, who are you going to pick for that? So on the French side, I think it's, it'd probably be someone that actually comes off the bench. Because I'd say most of their players that are going to start are pretty well-established, have been around for a while. I think, depending on how the game goes, Deschamps could bring on someone like a Thomas Lamar or a or a quarantine Toliso, and they may be that extra kick the French need. For the Croatians, uh, and we, we've really been praising him the entire tournament, I, th- I think it's Brozovic. If he can give them solid minutes again and it frees up Modric and Rakitic to do their thing, Croatia can, can cause an upset. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with both of those being important. I, I think for me, the 
the difference makers outside of, of Modric and Conte, outside of that matchup, aren't so much the less established players, but it's the players who haven't had amazing World Cups, as, as good World Cups as we might have expected up to now. For the French, I, I think it's Antoine Griezmann. I think that, you know, I don't see Giroud having a great game for France, but I think, you know, he's a, a big enough bother that, you know, Lovren and Vita for Croatia are going to be concerned with him and going to have to be, you know, aware of where he is as a, as a French striker. And I think we saw this with Jesse Lingard and Deli Ali a bit in the Croatia-England game, but there was a little bit of space, you know, for them to sort of play off of the striker. And, and you know, they weren't able to do that successfully, but, but that space was there. And I think, you know, if Griezmann can do a similar thing playing off of Giroud, then that'll definitely help France a lot. I think for Croatia... And this is a player who did a little bit better in the semifinal, but it's even Perisic because we talked about how you know Belgium when they were you know the few times that they attacked Pavard, you know he was seemed vulnerable, and you know Croatia have been really pushing it to the wings in a lot of their games, and I think you know Croat Perisic you know has a chance to go up against Pavard, and I think that if he's able to sort of dominate that matchup one on one and force France to send some extra help that way. You know, that's Mbappe's side, too. So if you have to have Mbappe come back and help more defensively, that limits France's, you know, offensive potential. And so I think that's going to be a really huge output. And Perisic could end up really helping out Croatia if he has a good game. Yeah. Um, do you have a pick? I mean, I said this when, when we were previewing the semifinals. I can really see any of these teams going through. I think just because they're an overall more talented squad, you know, they've had more concerns with the way they've played, but I, I think France, if I'm going to pick a team, ends up winning the World Cup. It's, I would probably say I'd like to see Croatia do it because I always like seeing teams you know, win their first World Cup and, and they've impressed, but, but if I'm picking a team for who I think will win, it's going to be France. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you there, especially because they've been winning without looking good. And I, I think they've, they've... And I guess this is a weird statement to make seeing Croatia come through three extra time matches, but I think they've struggled a little bit more, at least compared to their standards. Whereas Croatia is kind of on a high, like, wow, we've done really well, but the French have suffered to get here. And I I think they can win again while suffering a lot and and defending a lot. All right. Well, those, those are our picks. Both have France going through. We'll see if we are correct and if our keys to the game end up being correct. Regardless, we will see you for another episode after the final to recap that one. But until then, we'll see you.